electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Surging stocks will debate what today's jobs report really means for the Fed and your money going forward. And it's day three of our Stock Summit. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Rob Seachin, Jim Labenthal, everybody in the house today. Let's check the markets. You just heard it from Carl. Stocks are surging. Dow's better than 600 right now, trying to get a 2% gain, as is the S&P 500, 38.78. Are we going to get out of this range we've been in? Yields, there you go. Bonds up, yields down. 357 is where we are on the 10-year note. Wage growth is slowing. That's important for stocks. Jimmy... Yields drop. You had a big move in the two-year. The peak rate is now under five, about 490, as Leesman was talking about. This is a good day for people like you with your view. It is. Uh, I don't mean to be provocative, but it's just this is what a soft landing looks like. This labor report is job growth. Okay, that's one of the Fed's mandates, right? Maximize employment. And it's declining inflation in terms of average hourly earnings coming in better than expected and prior months revised down. That's what a uh, that's what a Goldilocks soft landing looks like. So if you're a bear, you know, this is a good day to call in sick. Uh, Not not a good day to be short the market. Uh, What this means is that the Fed does not have to be as aggressive as is feared. Now, will they possibly snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? I don't know. You can't rule that out with this Fed. Uh, But they should be looking at this and saying, "Okay, lowering inflation, economy is strong. Scott, did you notice that uh, Atlanta Fed GDP was revised up? But you're painting this as some sort of major game changer. It's one report that suggests that wages are slowing. You think I'm exaggerating? Well, I, I. I kind of do. Well, why aren't you? I mean, they're slowing gradually. Yes, of course, it's important. But, you know, look, I don't know, you know, how many more Fed heads do you need to come out and say the same thing? Bostic today, five above five percent. Kashkari, Esther George. That would be unwise. But I mean, they may they may make a mistake, but it's Kashkari this week, Esther George. They They may choose to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. If you look at the last two CPIs, and we'll get another one next week, you know, let's see if that comes in better than expected. But you're looking at month over month increases in headline CPI, 0.1, 0.2%. That's exactly where they want it. Okay. I'll grant you, there was a big inflation mistake made a couple of years ago. It's taking some time to unwind, but the fact is, it's unwinding. Bryn, um, what do you think? I think it's way too early to say this is a soft landing. The, the Fed is still flying the plane 40,000 feet in the air. And they're probably going to miss the whole airport, okay? And so we still have multiple Fed meetings, as you said, Esther George, Neil Kashkari. And once again, I'm just going to take what they're saying at face value, that they are going to be, they're going to still go further until the data tells them otherwise. To me, the strong GDP 
and three and a half percent unemployment says we still have further to go. I will say that from an inflation perspective, all that matters is month over month. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's looking at annualized, I say throw it out the window because in April, May and June of 2022, Scott, we were getting one percent prints month over month. And that's really when the Fed realized, hey, we're way behind now we're getting 0.1% prints, 0.1, 0.4. And so inflation is definitely coming down. But where I anchor on is that in 73, 74, or 74, 75, whichever two years, that you had rates come down. And then guess what? They went right back up. And I think that the Fed has said they are going to go further. Mm-hmm. And so I still think from a portfolio positioning, which really all that matters, you've got to stay defensive. Because, Rob, City today does just that. They downgrade U.S. equities to underweight. The good news, peaking rates. They say there may even be cuts later in the year. Okay, that's optimistic. That's what you hear from people who are bullish. The bad news, they suggest, though, is EPS, earnings per share, is contracting. And what the Fed has already done is enough to mean that earnings are going to contract even further. We still haven't had much filter through the system other than the obvious effects in real estate, where mortgage rates react more dramatically, more quickly. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that, their call? Listen, I think they're, they're, they're pretty right. And, you know, we've been cautious. We continue to be cautious. I think you've got two things working against the market. The one is a Fed that is going to continue to stay engaged. I think it's too early to break out the champagne. Uh, for Jimmy here, uh, you know, they've gotten a Goldilocks print today. We'll get more information next week with the Atlanta uh, Fed tracker where they look at wage growth. And we'll see. But you hit the nail on the head. Earnings coming in acts as a ceiling for valuations. You got the Fed, you've got earnings coming in. And so the way we've told our investors to play this is if we break 3,800, it's been a meaningful uh, support level. We think we're going back to 3,600. You talked to Lee Cooperman yesterday about this. I, I think there's a higher probability of that than there is uh, testing the highs. Um, and he but, gave you probabilities, right? He said, since you mentioned him, he said a 50% chance that we stay in the range of 3,600 at the low and 4,400 at the high, a 5% chance of going above 4,400, only 5%, and 45% that we could go into the low 3,000s. Since you mentioned him, let's listen to what he told me, and then we can continue the conversation on the other side of Lee Cooperman from yesterday. Listen. Anybody looking for a new bull market anytime soon is uh, looking the wrong way. Uh, we have had the most speculative period in our financial history, you know, SPACs, uh, crypto, uh, you know, weekly, daily options, uh, you know, crazy valuations of the would-be fangs. And going into a new bull market anytime soon makes no sense to me. That's, that's Lee Cooperman from yesterday and over time with me. Just yeah. to continue your thought. Yeah, so you have to have a playbook for those outcomes, even if one's a low probability outcome, right? So if you get to the north end of that range, I would encourage investors to de-emphasize large caps, large cap tech specifically, because it's a little expensive. He talked about that. If you get to the low end of that range, your implied forward returns increase. So you've really got to look at what the market gives you this year to position your investors. And I think a lot of this is at the margin. Sometimes it's with incremental new capital coming in and you have to make decisions. If you make a full chips on bet 
it, 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 on either side? I think that's foolish. So how do you do it? You got to be in quality. And that type of quality, you're going to be okay in either side of this. I want to come back to, to you, Jim, because, you know, half of, of what City says as they downgrade equities is in agreement with sort of where you are. Rates have peaked. Hey, they may cut. Maybe they don't even have to go to the degree, you know, to the, the peak of, of where the market once thought they did. But it doesn't matter. You don't need more hikes at this point to depress earnings. What they've already done is still going to have a cumulative effect to earnings. You just haven't seen it enough yet, but you're going to. And you're going to see it sooner than you think. And that's a negative to your view. So I like the way you set up that question. Yes. At some point, 425 basis points of hikes should have an effect on earnings. I mean, I can agree with you on that. Will. Okay, fine. But you got to take the other side of this. There's something on the other side of that seesaw, which is that I go back to this Atlanta Fed GDP and I go back to today's jobs reports for a specific reason. We know the U.S. economy leads the global economy. We know that consumption is 70 percent of the U.S. economy. What does that come from? It comes from jobs, it comes from people being employed. Now, somebody might come back at me and say, yeah, smart guy. But it's, what, what does it matter if people are employed, but their wages aren't growing at the rate of inflation? This is why it matters that inflation, Bryn, you talked about it the month over month, and I talked about it. The month over month is now annualizing at 2 to 3%. And you don't really have to squint your eyes to get there. This is the Goldilocks situation. People employed, inflation coming down. I feel like when I say this, all right, like you think I'm, I'm uh, you know, too full of it. But I just, I Well, you are a little on an island. That's, I mean, that's the point I'm driving at you, here. Is like I, you I are undeniably... On that island. I, and it might be Fantasy Island. On, no, it might I, be see, Fantasy Island. This is why I do the data that I just did, right, about jobs, about 70% of GDP being consumption. I talk about uh, MasterCard spending for the holiday season up 7.6%. Somebody will come back at me, yes, smart guy, but look at inflation. Inflation was No, less they would than come that. back at you and say, Jim, those are all of the reasons why this Fed is going to say, is going to stay focused. And with the the pedal on the floor, they want inflation coming down and it is coming down for the third time. You guys may be right. They may well snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. If they do, that would just be foolish. But I think you have to say, what does the economy look like once they stop? And what are we actually left with? Because every recession in the U.S. has been preceded by either an oil shock, Fed tightening or an inverted yield curve. In 2022, we got all three. And I believe in the economic cycle. The Fed tries to prevent it or push it forward or bring it back, but I believe in the economic cycle. And I think if we're ever going to get a slowdown contraction, it's going to happen after this Fed tightening. We also have QT, which is one grand experiment. Nobody in the world can say, here's what's going to happen, right? They're really not selling mortgage-backed securities. They're really just letting treasuries roll off right now. So that's where I think I agree. There is a probability that Jim is spot on. And if you don't, like, that has to be in your universe that there's a probability. Well, there's I just a don't think it could be the probability to case. everything in life. It's a matter of, of whether it's a high enough probability to actually put your deep belief behind that you're going to invest behind. Right. Of course, there's a probability. The probability may be 5%. Right. We, I w- we I w- don't right. know yet. I would use history as my guide. The Fed has over-tightened almost every time. And because we did have the oil shock and because we do have the inverted yield curve and we are doing QT, history tells you we're going into a slowdown, probably a recession. And the Fed is telling you that they're going to stay on the brakes longer. Yeah, but, but Jim doesn't believe what they say. 
They have changed he also, their minds before. He also That's doesn't true. believe that they're going oh, to have oh, to do on, what in they Jimmy's say. Def- in Jimmy's defense, though, let me tell you, change at the margin matters, and everybody's on the side of the boat that Lee Cooperman's on, that David Tepper's on, that Bryn Talkington's on, that Rob Seachin and Cameron Dawson are on. We're all here. Well, that's why so, some um, say that too many people are there. I get that. Right. But being a contrarian alone doesn't, you know, no, for I'd rather be with consensus right, right now. I would. But, so, but a, I there, will say there's this. a reason to be with the consensus at times. I, I, I hear you. OK. And by the way, let's be clear about something. I am acknowledging fully there is certainly the probability that I'm wrong. I get it. I'm not saying I know the future with certainty. But what I am trying to do, and I hope the viewers are getting this, what I'm trying to do is give you the reasons, the factual data reasons why I am where I am. And I hear you all very clearly. 425 basis points of hikes, or if it's 475 or 500, has to have an effect. What I remark to you, and everybody can make their own decisions, is it hasn't yet. GDP is accelerating right now. I'm just reporting But, but, but that's the that that keeps the Fed engaged, Jimmy. Not if that's that's part of the no, that's not necessarily true. They're laser focused on jobs. They got a sweet they, they got a sweetheart report today. There's no question about it, and that's that's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now. But let's not forget earnings are still expected to be higher next year. That's lunacy in the environment that we have right now. That doesn't mean that there aren't companies to buy in your defense. I'll say one last thing, because I don't think I made this point. 3.8% GDP growth last quarter, kind of hard to get earnings contracting from that position. Now, that's one quarter, and it's in the rearview mirror. I get it. You don't, do you think earnings expectations for this year are still too high? At 230, 229, I think they're spot on. Do you agree with that? That's about a 5%. I year think they're a little increase. high because also you have to think about when inflation comes down, earnings will also come down, comes down, especially companies that have goods. That's going to come down as well. So I think I would Rob said at the beginning, if you're on like the extremes, like I think that's not the right place to be. I think that 230 is a little bit high just because that inflation is a negative to earnings. Do you think Jim's on the on the extremes? No, no, I don't. he's he's above he's above the middle. You don't think he's we're, on the extremes? We're at we're at two twenty. We think there's low risk to two hundred. But when you look at the multiple in an environment where the Fed is still aggressive, they may they may pivot. You know, a 17, 17 and a half times is just average. We should be lower than that. Why right isn't now. this the 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 Tepper Weiss idea of this is the easiest market? to read just like it was before. It's just a don't fight the Fed world Mm -hmm. until it isn't. And right now, it's a don't fight the Fed world. Why can't it just be that simple? Because it's never that simple. Well, well, it was that simple before. It was that simple when Tepper came on, whenever that was, and said, what's going to go up? Everything. And what it went up? Everything. Everything. You're, you know what no I mean? Doubt, I, I, I'm with you on that. You but know I also, I mean? Yeah, I also think, though, Jim could be wrong about the economy, but right in his portfolio. Yeah. And so that's where it's like if, if David this Tepper are point. talking about the Qs and the S&P, sure, those are very blunt instruments. But we're running an asset allocation as are you. And so that's where I say I don't think Jim, Jim is not calling for the S&P at 4,800. I think that's outlandish. I don't know what he's calling for. Have, do you have your well, target for this year? The target right now is 4,200. 
However, however, the point Bryn's making is so fabulously important, and you know this and the viewers know this. I'm tilted away from large cap growth. I mean, that's how, everybody knows who I am. I've been doing this for 10 years. You know I'm a value guy. You see the cyclicals, and obviously they had a terrible year last year on the anticipation of recession. You see them coming back. I don't care if it's Boeing or Cliffs or Paramount, the three from my, uh, my uh, what do you call it, Stock Summit uh, for this year, right? And others. You see wind resorts. I mean, d- airlines. These things should not be performing in a recession, but they are for a combination of reasons. Maybe the recession doesn't happen. Maybe these things got the snot kicked out of them unnecessarily. But I will tell you, I look at Microsoft, Apple, uh, these other stocks, I'm not enthused by them. I'm not, I'm not hating on them. I'm not shorting them. But I'm Well, there's a reason it. not to be enthused about them. I mean, even, you know, Cooperman, when we talked to him yesterday, he's got the Microsoft and the Amazon and the Alphabet. It's not like he's raging enthused about them right now. And he's, you know, utilize the strategy which you do. Um, covered calls, reduce your risk, hedge out your bets. Um, he's not selling those stocks because he, he certainly likes them for the long term. But, you know, tech's off to a bad start. The sector was down two and three quarters percent heading into today. Yet, Rob, the, the street continues to defend these names. You know, almost, almost every day today, Microsoft, top pick at Wells. Alphabet, top pick, Piper. I mean, I could go on because every day. Mm-hmm. Are these foolish calls? Uh, I think you have to be a little more surgical than that. I don't, I don't think you can paint tech with a, with a broad brush. Certainly, there, because of the indexification of markets, there's going to be some of that. But um, currently, tech is forecast to have declining earnings in 23, down 2% versus the S&P at up 5 We think it actually could be worse than that. And that's, Lee made a point yesterday about the nifty 50 and the prices going in. These were great businesses in the and 70s. And he went down the list of XYZ, yeah. bankrupt. XYZ, bankrupt. He went down the list. But, but there were many that outperformed across that time frame from, a, from an earnings standpoint, yet underperformed from a stock standpoint because multiples compressed. They were just too high going in. And I think what you saw in the pandemic, Scott, is that pull forward of demand that is going to lead to a very similar outcome this time. Right. We want to own these names over long periods of time. I think they're some of the great growers for what you get. But you don't want to be underweight them right now relative to the market. And that's our view. You having this back and forth on email with with Weiss, who was, you know, he was supposed to be here. He's a little under the weather. We hope we hope he's feeling better, but he's feeling good enough to, you know, spar with you via email in which he comes back at you and says, which is factual, that the St. Louis Fed says most of the country is in a recession. And that's before the tightening has had a, a, a full impact, regardless um, of what Atlanta GDP is telling you and trying to make a, a broader trend of it. I expected you to uh, acknowledge that I used his line against him, right? When I said uh, the Bears <laughs> picked a good day to call in sick. He used to use that line all the time. How are you, Steve? I miss you. Um, look, the facts are what they are. I, I, look, I haven't had a chance to uh, click on the headline that you sent, Steve, but I will say Atlanta Fed GDP through last Friday, all right, through a week ago, says the economy is growing at 3.8 percent real GDP. You look at airline travel, it's back at 2019 levels. You look at Las Vegas, consumer electronics show, people are showing up. Things are happening, okay? I understand if you're in the housing market, if you're a home builder, it doesn't feel that way. And I'm not, I'm not dancing on anybody's sorrows there. But the overall economy is expanding. That's what the numbers tell you. So we went through tech. I just wanted to get that out there. I don't want to sidetrack us. But um, our chart of the day today is something that I need to talk to Bryn about because it's Tesla. Another new 52-week low today. 
Um, you got the price cuts in China. That's a major story. Um, we just refresh people's memory. Um, you sold GM, right? And you bought Tesla, and that was about the end of the year, right? And I think you bought Tesla, I have on my note here, 120. Yep. You sold calls against it, and that's the strategy that we talk about on a regular basis. Do you have regrets that you bought that stock? No, not, not even remotely. So, you know, first of all, in, they are selling, they, they, are, they are doing very well in China. They have a bunch of competition. Really, their main competitor is BYD, which actually Buffett is an owner right. in the company. And so BYD has lots of models, a much cheaper price point. Elon said, I think he did a Twitter spaces the other day, they're going to focus more on volume than margins right now. And they don't have a car under the three to, to compete directly against BYD. And so they're cutting, they're cutting to do more volume. And so I think right now what I did is I bought it at 120. I sold the 150 April calls and I collected $10. Let's just do quick math. I bought it at 120. I collected $10. I'm up two bucks on it right now because it's at 112 because essentially my cost base is, is 110. So that to me is a great story. I think that Tesla's in the early days and I think with a company that I can actually model, like I can have the, have the opportunity to mm -hmm. model because the valuation makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I think you want to buy a good company, great CEO, Lots of runway, and I think I have a good entry point. He, Jim argues, uh, you know, he's sitting right here. I don't need to speak for him, but his argument I know has been that this is a car company and it should be valued as such, i.e. single digit, not exorbitant, which it got to throughout the last year at least. How do you argue with that it point is, of view? It, it is a car company. It also is a semiconductor company. It's a software company. You know, they stopped using NVIDIA's chips, I think, two years ago to make their own chips. They own, they own the supercharger network. They have their own supercharger network. And so I feel like GM is a great company. I bought it for Cruise. I thought that was a good way at $34 to buy it when they own 80% of Cruise. But Tesla has the full, full self-driving network. They could turn on. I mean, they already turned it on, but they're still working through it. And so this is a much bigger story than just Ford or GM. I mean, Ford was the same price today as it was 35 years That's ago. That's meaningless. You, and you so I just don't think that you can value yeah. a company that probably doubles their earnings in two years at a six multiple. It doesn't make sense. That's not what we do in this business. And I'm just thinking, like, for somebody like you who, you know, waxes poetically about the strength of the economy and the strength of the consumer um, nonstop, the stock over the last 12 months is down 43%. So if the economy's so good... And the consumer is so strong, the stock's down 44% over a period of time when the consumer and the economy were even stronger yeah. than they are now. I want you to know I like waxing poetically. And I think you know that. I'm not going to stop. I like it. Okay. Uh, are we talking about GM or Tesla? Which one did you want to Well, I was looking about? at GM because that's the one that's down 43% yeah. okay. over the last year. So what... What do you say to that? What I say to that is they're doing everything they can. There was a su uh, supply shortage of chips. Uh, they're producing them cars as fast as they can. They're getting top dollar for it. Um, Bryn, I hear you on cruise. I, I will come back to you and say that the technology is working. They have autonomous, no driver in the cab taxis in San Francisco and Phoenix. They've got the bright drop electric vans, which I believe FedEx, maybe it's Walmart, maybe it's both uh, are, are using right now. They've got the electric vehicle business through the Ultimium chassis. 
and trades at six times earnings. Now, I think that's dirt cheap. I will tell you, I see the bull case in Tesla. It's starting to get interesting. That may, that may perk Scott's ears up, but like, it's starting to get interesting. I can't buy it at 20 times multiples when I, uh, when I like GM at six, but I see the peg ratio at 0.8. And if the consumer... But I mean, didn't you it, buy a Salesforce? Don't you own sales? Do you own Salesforce? I do. What's the what's the what's the multiple? Uh, I believe it's about twenty-five. I'm not looking right. And now. you've so, owned it before when it was even higher than that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'll say this again. I've said it many times. It's it's hard to peg me as the Salesforce bull. I own a one percent. I'm not pegging you as that, but I'm pegging you as somebody who has made an exception to your discipline when it comes to valuation. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at Tesla. I'm telling you, I'm looking at it. You know why I'm not going to buy it? Because look, what happens if I buy it and it actually goes down on par with GM and it's 30? What conversation? Not with you. I mean, that's going to be one thing. What conversation am I going to have with my clients who I've been telling them for a long time it's a car company? All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. Up next, our 2023 Halftime Stock Summit rolls on. Bryn and Rob unveiling their top picks and sectors for the year ahead. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back on the Halftime Report, our annual stock summit continuing today. It is Bryn's turn. All right, so let's go through these. And there, you know, we mostly have had individual stocks. You're playing in a different way. In some ways, people will, you know, um, remember some of the things you've talked about before. The Jeppy is number one. Refresher, why is that number one? Tell people what exactly it is. It's number one because it's our biggest position. So um, we'll, we'll start with that. So Jeppy at the high level owns about 120 high-quality names, and then sells S&P calls against that. So it's a covered call strategy. And we added the portfolio, added a small piece in late 2020. Late 2020, We've continuing to add more. And right now, I guess it's a little bit over a third of our portfolio. Last year, that strategy was down 3.5%. The S&P was down 18. The Barclays Ag was down 13. So when you ask me what do I have the most conviction in, it's still Jeppy, and here's why. Is that not only does it have a covered call strategy, but what we really like about it is that they have sector caps where each sector cannot be more than 17.5%. So at the end of 2020, when we're wanting to add it, we're actually trying to reduce tech. 
right, which was close to 30 percent of the S&P. So if this strategy is capped at 17 and a half, we just naturally knew we would take down that tech weighting. Right now, that tech exposure is about 10 percent. And you have more health care and staples and some other strategies. So we think that it's a great, the right strategy at the right time. Right now, the distribution yield, which is a mixture of the dividend and the covered called, is a little over 11.5%, okay. which is paid monthly. So to me, it's a no-brainer for this year. Okay. Number two, the Pacer U.S. Cash Cows ETF, the COWS, C-O-W-Z. Right. So um, this is the smallest of the three. This is something we started adding last month. Let me explain what it does. As we've talked about, you know, if you look at the analysts this year for 2023, I think the low end is 3,400 and maybe Tom Lee's at 4,750. You could drive a truck through it. And so there's a wide range of outcomes, but we want to be invested. And so what Pacer does is every month this strategy will come out. So next month it'll be PFEB for February. So this is just PJAN. It comes out the first day of January or the first trading day. It gives you a hard floor of a 15% downside. So the first trading day, you were at the SPY of 382. Okay, so 3820 on the S&P. It goes for one year. They do S&P options inside of that. It's a very plain vanilla strategy. So at the end of the year, which this will be up, if the S&P is above 30, let's say the S&P is at 3,400, this strategy will be worth 3,820 because I have hard protection to 3,250 on the downside. On the upside, because volatility is high and they're selling options, this strategy has an upside of 18.5%. So I have upside participation of 4530. And downside protection. And downside. So right, so to me in a year with a wide range of outcomes, I want to be invested. I love being able to tell our clients, hey, at the end of the year, you know the range of your outcomes and you're still invested. Okay. Lastly, and this is new, is the Innovator US Equity Power Buffer ETF, the PJAN. Oh, that's the one I just did. Cows is the Cows is the cows is the last one. Oh, cows is the last one. PJAN is the one I just. That's the one through. you just did. That's the one I just walked. Oh, through. so tell me the cows then. Yeah, so cows has been in the strategy for a while, and I think if you listen to Lee Cooperman, listen to Jim, um, Jenny, Rob, it's all about free cash flow, and we want to buy companies that have high free cash flow. And so what this ETF does is it takes the hundred highest free cash flowing yielding companies in the Russell 1000, and it weights them not by market cap, but by free cash flow yield. And so what you end up with is, well, first of all, last year, it was actually up 20 basis points, which is not surprising because these are the companies that have the highest free cash flow. And, and why is free cash flow important for those who don't, for the viewers that don't follow that? When you get free cash flow, what can you do? Dividends, buybacks, M&A, you have optionality, and we want our clients and our portfolio to have optionality, but to be invested. Okay. And so we think it's just those three together give our clients a good yield. You're invested, but you own great companies with high free cash flow yield. Sector healthcare. So yeah. staying with the theme that has worked. Yep. Briefly tell me that, and I want to comment. Yeah. I would have said consumer staples, but I think they're too expensive. And so healthcare in a slowdown, people aren't going to stop going to the doctor. They're not going to stop buying drugs. I just think healthcare has a, a good right down the middle of growth at a reasonable price. Okay. Quick comment. Bryn's in a bunker. She, she's going to win if the, if the market goes down. There's no question about it. I have a, I have a different view over, over, over the time horizon. What she's doing, writing covered calls, having buffers, focusing on cash flow, those are winning strategies in healthcare. Those are winning strategies in a difficult environment. Okay, you're going to give your strategies next. That's Rob Seachin. He's on the clock. He's going to give his stock summit picks right after this.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update right now. Mexican security forces arrested drug cartel leader Ovidio Guzman, the son of jailed kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. That move triggered a wave of violence in the area that resulted in the death of 19 suspected gang members and 10 military personnel, according to Reuters. The Buffalo Bills say DeMar Hamlin's breathing tube has been removed and he's been able to talk to his family and medical team. The Bills said Hamlin is making remarkable progress in his recovery after suffering cardiac arrest during a game in Cincinnati Monday night. Hamlin also joined a team meeting by video today. He told his teammates, love you boys. And the Mega Millions jackpot tonight has soared to nearly a billion dollars after there was no winner Tuesday. This jackpot is estimated to be $940 million. It would be the sixth largest in U.S. lottery jackpot history. And Scott, if we were to put this in halftime language, there is real risk, but the potential return on investment is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm in it. So let's go. Let's go. Probabilities. Yeah, the probabilities are very, very low. <laughs> Thanks, Contessa. Sure. Our annual stock summit continues now. Uh, all right, Rob Seachin, you're on the clock. You, uh, you have a couple of repeats, okay? And you had a good year last year, too. Um, J.P. Morgan was your stock pick last year. Uh, you know, obviously, the financials didn't have a tremendous year. Uh, EOG, was energy your space last year? Energy was yeah, my you space killed it, last obviously, year. with that. So you have a new sector, which we'll get into in a second. But J.P. Morgan is back. EOG is back. Meta. Oh, yeah. We'll talk wow. about it. Go we'll ahead. Talk about it. Go ahead. You ready to go to Meta first? Go Meta first. Oh, okay. okay. Go Meta first. So uh, we call this our friends in low places trade. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's cheap. Um, trades at 12 times 23, uh, 22, you know, obviously truly abysmal. We've already seen a meaningful reset in earnings and expectations. Um, Jimmy will tell me it's a value trap uh, because the business is broken. Um, But Meta's forecast was cut 45%. And its free cash flow forecast cut 66%. And I think it's very dangerous in in that space to be so underweight that stock when there's so much upside associated with potential surprises, like a reacceleration in their core business, which could happen. Headwinds from Apple's policy change uh, uh, dissipating. And then there's TikTok, a lot of political risk around TikTok, which could help uh, help reels. Uh, we don't like the heavy CapEx. We don't like that Zuck does that, right? But hopefully he gets religion and refocuses on the core business. So well, he's got a lot of pressure on him to do that. Yeah. Right. From, you know, Gerstner, Brad Gerstner, Altimeter, obviously laying out his case very publicly as to why they need to tighten the belt, which they seem to be a little bit more maybe than they had been willing to admit in the past. So we don't think it's a value trap any longer. We thought it was for a long time. We think the catalysts exist and are there. We own the stock uh, recently. And, uh, you know, my view is if you want to win this game, you got to have something in there that 
you know, allows you to. Oh, uh, what about okay? Why J.P. Morgan and EOG again? So. J.P. Morgan is uh, the one stock that didn't perform last year for us. And, and there's a reason that we want to own it this year. Is it, if there's an economic hurricane, we want to be in the best boat. You know, it's a little disingenuous. We, ha- we own Jefferies, too. We had it going in. But kind of prior to this, they had a big announcement. And so we, we couldn't put it in here. It wouldn't have been fair to do. Um, but financials overall have a really low bar this year. And I think you had a bunch of people picked financials as their sector. We did. We, and, you know, it's obvious as to why, because it's a low bar to jump over. Cooperman and it, yesterday said they're cheap. Yeah, yeah. And there's an argument that can be made that they took all the pain last year in loan loss reserves, right? So they had their, they had their difficult time last year, and now there's some economic upside uh, to this now. And there's an argument to be made if we go into a recession, J.P. Morgan could strengthen their grip in that type of environment, and the leadership team will certainly show how adept they are. Plus, it trades at 1.3 times book. It's bottomed at 1.2 almost every time it's bottomed. Okay, so so, so let's move. Um, we don't need to do really a lot on EOG, right? I think people get it, right? It was up a well, lot last year. Last year was a layup. Last year, energy was a layup. Okay. This year, it's going to require execution, and this is the best team in the industry to execute. Okay. Okay. Why did you switch your sector if you obviously are still bullish on energy, why'd you go to aerospace and defense? Um, because, the because, IPA. It, because it's not the layup it was. Energy's not the layup it was. You can't. You have to be surgical now. Last year was just a very obvious trade that you could pick everything. Um, you know, we want to play defense and offense at the same time. Defense because of government spending and the like in this space, and offense because of the recovery in commercial aerospace. So. We think those things are, are, are happening, and they're unlikely to get pushed to the side, given what's happening mm-hmm. you know, from a geopolitical standpoint, given what's happening because there is so much underinvestment in the aircraft, uh, by the aircraft industry in, uh, in planes. So Boeing, Raytheon, they make up a big part of this. Okay. It's a great trade. Comment from Jim. Uh, start with a positive. You are very consistent with your overall outlook, right? You are playing defense, J.P. Morgan and defense and aerospace, no pun intended. And you've got this flyer in meta just in case things go right. I get it. I really would have liked to help you get a better flyer than meta. Um, to me, that seems, look, by the way, you went through all you were talking about were risks. I was listening to you and I was like, what, what, when did Rob become insecure? Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's not a suit that you wear well. Don't do it, okay? Find something with more opportunity. This thing has uh, declining earnings last year to this year to next year. That's not where I would tell you to take a flyer. But, but I understand what you're doing and you're being consistent in your thought process. Okay, he says thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> Right. I see the look on his face. We'll see. see December 31st. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, this is not necessarily a contest. You guys may view it as such. Oh, we do. We we definitely view it as a contest. I mean, we're just trying to you guys, you, not you are trying to make some money uh, or protect from losing or both. That's true. Good point. More Stock Summit picks are coming up next week. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We talked about energy. It is coming off its best year on record. One of those big winners, though, got a downgrade today. We need to discuss that. We'll do it next. All right, we're back. Bank of America today downgrading Chevron. They call the energy stock a victim of its own success. We've made it our call today. I want to go to you, Brent, because you have a lot of energy exposure a victim of its own success. I mean, you could theoretically say that about 
50 different energy companies that went up a ton last year? The whole sector. I think the, the whole sector last two years. Right. So you've definitely seen a reemergence in the energy space that I don't think is going away. I think the secret's out. We need fossil fuels. And so I think you're going to continue to have more investors come back to the space. That being said, I think you do have to have a year of digestion. My opinion is this year is going to be more about the dividend yield on the companies versus the capital appreciation, which far out, outweighed the dividends that you got you, this you year. Mean, you mean the idea or possibility of, of them being cut in a, no, a slower no, no, no. economic that environment? The majority of your, sorry, the majority of your return could come from the dividends from the dividend. this year, right? Chevron doesn't have that high of a dividend relative to some of the other names, but they were such a big contributor to the S&P last year. I think for 2022, they'll contribute $26 of earnings. They're expected for this year to only contribute 24. So I just think you could easily see their earnings slightly decelerate. And so from that perspective, I think you want, I mean, it sounds like I'm talking my book, but you don't want to own the names, collect the dividends, and sell calls against them. I think that's a better way to play it. So, Jimmy, Exxon, I think, was up even, you know, tremendously more than Chevron. So you could say that's a victim of its own success, perhaps. I mean, is it time to look at some of these names? And, you know, Wonder. you know what they say, right? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Yeah, I, I think it is time to look at them. I will tell you, though, I'm not selling, at least not yet. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking and thinking like this. I read what this analyst said, and he, he seems to be keyed in on the fact, the fact that energy prices have been weak uh, for quite a few weeks now. Um, and, you know, that's true. And I think, Bryn, what you just said about maybe this is a year in which we consolidate a little bit more, I think you're going to get more than the dividend yield. And here's why. I mean, there, it, Ultimately, the demand is there for fossil fuels. And you know one thing that doesn't get talked about is the strategic petroleum reserve that always gets caught in my mouth. They're refilling that now. They're buying, they've put out tender offers to start the refilling of that. Um, that's putting a floor to energy prices along with everything else going on in the world. Quick, Rob, real quick. Yeah, I mean, falling earnings does not mean falling stocks. It doesn't. These stocks are still cheap. They're eight and a half times forward, and they're still structurally underowned. And so I think you can still be overweight energy, maybe not to the degree you were, but you can still be overweight energy. All right, quick break. Mike Santoli on the other side with his midday word. Plus, our experts getting ready to grade your trade. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us, use the hashtag grademytrade. We're right back. All right. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. There he is, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli from the exchange for his midday word. Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much. No, uh, certainly not once the market was coiled so tightly going in uh, to the uh, data we got today. And, and clearly it was that ISM services number, prices paid falling apart. Uh, the market was willing to seize on that. So it's still even with this rally, as nice as it is, uh, it's not sort of an outright grab for the riskiest stuff. Uh, you actually see sort of the low volatility stocks uh, rallying along with some of the more cyclical and, and aggressive ones. So I think it's, it's sort of a balanced and measured response. I think it's tough, though, if you look at the sideways, three or four weeks sideways in the market, it looks more like traction than anything uh, else, even if you haven't broken out yet. So we'll see. Obviously, we're going to start worrying about CPI. Uh, probably already have done that, actually, by the time today's done. So that's another few days of, uh, of a vigil uh, for the next important number. You've made me and our viewers, I think, keep our eyes keenly on 3,800. You know, that's been we've been so tethered to it. And, yes. you know, maybe this is the thing that starts us out of that such tight range that we've been in. 
Yeah, it looks like it's an attempt. Uh, the last time the S&P traded above 3,900 was December 15th. So it, it's a little while, but it's been an incredibly narrow range where you've you sort of had volatility drain out uh, of the system. And as I like to point out, the intraday low in May of last year was 3810. Uh, so it's levels that we've actually visited for the first time quite a ways back. All right. We'll see you in a few hours. It's Mike Santoli down at the exchange. I'll see him for his last word, of course, in overtime. Grade My Trade is up next. Again, send that email. Ask halftime at CNBC.com or tweet us. We're back to do that next. All right, let's grade your trades now. Bryn, you're up first, okay? This is from Mike G. in Orlando, Florida. Bought 30 shares of NVIDIA at $228. Bought 20 more as it bottomed, holding 50 shares, average price 186. So it's down 22% from 186. What about the trade? Grade it. Well, you, you average down, which, which can sometimes work out. I own NVIDIA like NVIDIA. What you want to understand, I think, your expectations. I don't think NVIDIA is going to do much the next two quarters. The last quarter, their earnings were down substantially. They're still working off inventory. I think you need to see Jensen Wong say all clear. And with China reopening, they probably, like the U.S., overbought things. And so I just think, wait, wait on this trade. I'll give you a C. All right. Yeah, all right. You grade what you grade. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rob, you're up next. Uh, this is from Mike in Oregon. Bought Fortinet on November 3rd at $43. I'm a long-term investor. What do you think? It's up 12% since then. Yeah, I'd give him, give him an A. He stepped in right after they delivered and then gave negative guidance. The stock sold off. He picked it at the right time. It's 20% long-term grower, so nice job. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, your last. Uh, this is from Steve in, in France. Thank you for writing in. Delta Airlines bought Delta, Steve says, at $33.35 just a few days ago on January 3rd. I've always avoided airlines, he says, but they're taking off. Are they taking off in 23? Uh, it really looks like it. Um, you know, you look at TSA Traveler throughput, we're back at 2019 levels, solidly staying there. Uh, demand is there. Prices are good for tickets. Uh, the stock trades at seven times earnings, and that's because people think that there's a recession coming. You've heard me talk about this. Either you agree with me or you don't. But if you think we're going into a recession, this is not the stock to own. I don't think we're going into recession. Seven times is too cheap. Okay, quick break. Final trades are next. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern, a few hours from now. I hope you'll join me. Joe Terranova with us end the week. Former Dallas Fed President Richard Fisher, too, on whether today's report was a game changer for how we should think about what lies ahead for the Fed. He'll tell us. All right, let's do final trades. Bryn Talkington. I'm going to pick one in my favorite sector for the year, healthcare, Pfizer. Um, last quarter, they grew revenues by 7%, earnings by 27%. I think it's a growth at a reasonable price. Okay. I'm going to go with healthcare too, cheapest defensive, but I'm going to go with Lilly. Uh, premium valuation, but great fundamentals and best in class, top and bottom line return profile. So we're still trying to stay with some of the areas that worked real well last year. Not I, I guess that gives you, well, I mean, I just thinking it just gives an idea of where risk overall is right now, right? It plays to the sentiment that's out there now. And positioning, right? It's, it, 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 we're ripe for a rally like today. We'll see what happens next. All right, Farmer Jim. I, I know I mentioned it earlier, Scott, General Motors. One, what I didn't mention is as these chips are being uh, delivered and the cars are being produced, there's pent up demand because people are driving their old cars, driving them into the ground. They need new cars. We'll, we'll see if they go buy them. All right. Those are your final trades. I will see all of you in overtime in just a few hours. It does it for us. Great weekend. The exchange is now. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.